Good morning, Cornerstone. My name is John, and I will be doing the scripture reading for today, which comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, and has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas, and I wish you all a happy new year. Hello, Cornerstone. This is Pastor Paul. Uh, great that you can join us again for our worship service. And we hope you had a very Merry Christmas this past week. And uh, thank you just for joining us to hear God's word and to worship him together again. So today we're going to start a new sermon series through the Gospel of Luke. And the Gospel of Luke is a great book because uh, if you really enjoy length, it is the longest gospel out of all the gospels. It is also the longest book of the New Testament period. Uh, it's tradi traditionally accepted that Luke wrote the book and wrote the gospel. And Luke was a Greek or a Gentile. And basically, he was an outsider. He was not a Jew, and he was considered to be um, not a part of the, the holy community. He was uh, not really part of the in crowd, necessarily. Uh, the book of Acts is also attributed to Luke as well. And most scholars today acknowledge that um, there is a close connection and unity between the book of Luke and the book of Acts. It's also interesting to note that most scholars think that Luke was a doctor, a physician. Uh, Paul says this in Colossians 4, actually, that uh, he was, in fact, a doctor. And many scholars believe that uh, because he was a doctor, he was very detail-oriented in his writings. And that's why his book is so long. And so um, this particular gospel, it is very unique because it has particular stories and, and parables that are only unique to this particular gospel. And the gospel is especially meaningful because Luke was writing to a more Gentile audience from a Gentile perspective, not necessarily a Jewish perspective. And so for us, we are not really Jews. Most of us uh, are not Jews. We are not from Jewish descent. Almost all of us are Gentiles. And so uh, it's beautiful that Luke is setting the stage for how Christ is a savior for all. And the legitimacy of Christ is, uh, in, in fact, valid. And that is what Luke 1 is about. So before we get into it uh, more, let me just pray for us and ask the Lord to bless this time as we begin this new series through the Gospel of Luke. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray for you to open up our hearts and minds to your word here today. 
And we pray that uh, you may help us to have a good uh, understanding of this gospel as we go through it together as a church. And we pray for your blessing upon us here this morning. Just in me pray. Amen. So, have you ever had the feeling that um, your life is just not satisfying enough? I've definitely felt this way before, and this can happen regarding various different things. Um, when I was a student, uh, there was always a sense of, can this uh, paper be better? Can I study a little bit more? Can this project be that much more uh, extravagant or beautiful or or uh, could I possibly get a better grade if I add this or do that um, I know that some of my friends have always thought that they could have better jobs they could have better pay better benefits um, a better commute even or some would go as far as to say um, can I even have a better girlfriend or can I have a better boyfriend you know, is this person really the one? I feel like there's someone better. And I think this is a natural feeling. You know, it doesn't mean it's right, but I think it is natural for us to feel this way. And uh, this is because without Christ, there's always something missing in our lives. Something that's empty about us. Um, there is something that is lacking satisfaction. We always feel like there's something better on the other side. And it's because of this uh, lack of Christ in our lives, um, we are just, you know, sometimes we just feel lost and, and we just lack motivation. And, and especially if we don't get that something better, if we fail to achieve it, it, we just feel devastated in those moments. We see here in Luke 1 that there is something that gives us joy, something that fills our hearts with complete satisfaction. And that's why Mary sings this song of praise in our passage for today, because Christ has come, right? And, and, and when uh, Mary sings this song, um, you know, it, Jesus has not quite come yet, but uh, it has been foretold to her. But the idea that the Messiah has come, God with us is coming, um, that brings joy in, in Mary's life and, and brings her to bring, uh, give a song of praise, a hymn of praise to him. So in our passage, we see this beautiful song uh, that Mary sings, and she rejoices because God is fulfilling this prophecy, a prophecy that was made thousands of years ago, specifically the promise to send a Savior. And the, the song of praise that Mary sings is called the Magnificat, which basically points to the first few lines of the song, of the chapter, where she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. Mary is accepting this truth that she has heard and considers everything she has heard to be true because she is a faithful Jew. And she knew her scriptures and knew the prophecies of God's word. So when she heard the angel uh, foretell of the birth of Christ through her, she immediately knew this was a prophecy being fulfilled. In Luke 1.55, uh, we see her reference 
the, the ones that God spoke to in the Old Testament, which are mainly the prophets. And she says this, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And this is the very end of this song of praise where she says, God has made this known to Abraham and the other ancestors and prophets. And now it's finally coming to fruition. How amazing it is that Christ has finally, the Savior has finally come. The Messiah has come. And actually this whole first chapter is filled with references to the Old Testament and how Christ is the fulfillment of the promises of old. So let's look at some of these uh, connections uh, made back to the Old Testament. So first we can look at the birth being foretold. But actually there are two births in this first chapter of Luke. And the first one we'll look at is not the birth of Christ or the foretelling of the birth of Christ, but we're going to look at the birth of John the Baptist. And this happens earlier in our chapter. First, uh, just to quickly recap, we see it in the birth of John being foretold to Zacharias. What's happening here is we see God sending an angel and revealing to Zacharias that his wife will bear a son. And this son will, as verses 16 and 17 say, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the, to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Elizabeth was of old age at this point and was considered to be too old to have any children. But God sent his angel and revealed to Zechariah that his wife would indeed bear a child. And many theologians analogize uh, this passage to that of the prophet of Samuel. Uh, Samuel's birth was similar back in 1 Samuel chapter 1. We see uh, him being born through a similar miracle where Hannah and Elkanah were also childless and probably considered barren, as was the case with Elizabeth. There are other similarities uh, where there is also a command for both Samuel and John the Baptist to not drink of wine, which infers that both Samuel and John were to be Nazarites, who were those who vowed their lives to serve God. And, and these were things, there were, there were certain things that Nazarites could not do in the Old Testament, like could not drink wine, and uh, they had to abstain from uh, certain things and let their hair grow out. And the whole purpose of this was for them to continue to be consecrated or stay holy. So much like Samuel, John's purpose is to set the stage for the true king, to prepare, as it said in our, in our passage. Samuel was a prophet and, and sent to anoint the true king of Israel, who would be David. And John the Baptist sets the stage for the true king, the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ. We see God fulfilling the prophecy and sending the true king, the true Messiah. And John the Baptist is chosen to, is chosen to prepare the way for Christ. We see the fulfillment of that promise throughout the Gospels and how John the Baptist says in Mark 1-7 about Jesus that there is 
After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Just as Samuel prepared the way for David, we see John the Baptist prepare the way for Jesus. The problem before Christ was that we sought to obey, to follow, and to worship God solely on our own strength. But it always failed. But over and over again, we see God being faithful to his people, even when they disobey and they worship false gods and they rebel against him and they disobey his commands. God continues to show his faithfulness. But these were only temporary reprieves, right? They only lasted a short period of time. So that's why only a perfect savior could come to truly save us. And that is why the prophets spoke of a Messiah, an Emmanuel, a suffering servant who would come in, in the line of David to establish the throne of God's kingdom, not just temporarily, but forever. That is what the coming of Jesus fulfilled. All of the longings of these Old Testament prophets for, for God to show mercy and to save them from slavery, from exile, their wandering, all of their longings have been fulfilled in the coming of Christ. And so the response that we see Mary have is utter joy and praise because she knows these prophecies have been fulfilled. But more than that, what we see in the song of praise from Mary is that the coming of Christ leads us to live lives marked by humility and dependence on God. This is the posture of Mary's hymn in the Magnificat. In verse 48, it says, He has looked on the humble estate of his servants, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. What Jesus brought is the truth that we could not please God or obey, or obey the law on our own. It, it always failed. It never succeeded. They tried and tried before Christ came, and every time it did not work. That is why Mary is in this posture that at this point, because she's just a poor woman who's, who didn't have much, who probably wasn't very educated, but she is the one chosen to bear the child of God, to be his mother. It's a small glimpse of what the gospel is all about. It's about Jesus coming down as the Messiah, but, but it's not about power. It's not about knowledge. It's not about determination and will. No, God chooses a poor woman. It's about humility. The gospel is about humbling ourselves. It's not about what we can do. It's about what God is doing, what God has done. That is what it means for these prophecies to be fulfilled. We were stuck before. We thought we knew how to obey and we thought we, we knew how to listen, but we were delusional. We, we really didn't know. We, we couldn't do it. We can't be our own God. We're so limited in ourselves. We're not powerful enough to do anything of worth. We're not strong enough. We, 
the reality is we're stuck. We are stuck. And that's why we were never truly satisfied with anything that we have done. We, we, we feel something is missing in our lives. No matter how hard we try, it seems like we're missing something. Even for those of us who may feel that we have everything we've ever dreamed of or wanted, there's still something lacking. There's always something missing in our lives. And that's what Jesus did when he came down, he, when he fulfilled the prophecies. The law no longer has power over us because although the law is good for helping us to know what good works to do, to know, um, to know uh, whether we are doing good in ourselves, to restrain evil to a certain degree, to guide us in knowing what good we need to do, even though that's what the law provided, it could never save us. It could ne- never satisfy us. It is only in a Savior who has come to be like us, to empty himself, to be born in a manger, and to be the Son of God. That was the only thing that could save her, save us. And that's what we just celebrated for Christmas. Uh, I'm sure many of us, like I mentioned earlier, have felt uh, this emptiness. Uh, sometimes we might feel life is purposeless. It's not giving us what we want for whatever reason. And even with people who seem to have everything, everything that you could think of, even those people, they all seem to be wanting a little bit more. An article from Psychology Today uh, once said that wanting is what actually makes us unhappy. Let me say that again. Wanting is what actually makes us really unhappy. The, the, the desire for more makes us unhappy because we don't appreciate what we have. But it's not easy to get rid of this frustration it's in all of us. It's, it's hard to just be content. Um, in an article, another article from The Atlantic from a couple years ago showed a survey that was done uh, that asked 2,000 people that have a net worth of at least a million dollars, so people who are on the, the upper echelon of the income bracket, right? And they asked this question, how happy are you on a scale from 1 to 10? And then how much more money would you need to get to 10? Basically, everyone was not perfectly happy. Most people were not giving 10s. And, and almost all of them said that they would need two to three times more of what they already had to really be perfectly happy. This indicates a, a problem with our souls. We can never really have enough. But in Christ, we are satisfied. We are filled. And let, let's look here at verse 53. It says, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Food is not what fills us up anymore. Mary, like I mentioned, was someone who knew what it meant to be poor, to be hungry. And not like, you know, I skipped a meal by accident or I don't eat breakfast every day. It's going days without food and not being sure of when the next meal could come. But in Christ, her hunger is fulfilled. She is satisfied. And the same goes for us. We are satisfied 
with Him. Even in this world, even the riches of this world can't compare. Our, our, our soul's longing is fulfilled. But the reality is that we still want the world. We are still corrupted by sin. Even for those of us who have experienced Christ, who have felt His Holy Spirit in our lives and have understood the gospel truth, we still wander away. Our hearts continue to wander away from God. And C.S. Lewis says this in his book, The Weight of Glory. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. And it's true. We are far too easily pleased. We sometimes see Christ and we're like, no, um, I'd rather have this over here. I'd rather have my promotion I'd rather have this client's business. I'd rather have these friends. I'd rather have all this money that I have. We, we do this all the time. We, we, uh, we put these other things first. And most of us, eventually, we realize it's, it's never enough. It really never is enough. And so what do we do in those moments when it's not enough? When life is, is uh, not uh, satisfying us enough? We just distract ourselves. And we live in an age where it's so easy to be distracted. It's, it's so easy to just put our minds on other things. And I'm sure many of us even now are distracted as we are um, watching this service together. Right? We, some of us might be you know, doing other things, thinking about other things, might be looking through social media or whatever the case may be. But the point is it's, easier now than ever to distract ourselves from reality. So we just fill our minds with entertainment. We binge watch TV shows or movies or we go on YouTube for hours and hours on end because we just want to numb ourselves from the realities of life. But this is what's so radical about the gospel. It, it fills us up completely. And it, instead of gaining salvation and purpose from fighting harder, you know, gaining more power, being more determined. It's actually about removing ourselves from the equation. It's forgetting about ourselves and what we want and forgetting about what we want. And instead we surrender to God and the truth that Christ has saved us. That is an incredibly radical way to think about life. Because we've always thought that life is about working hard and achieving uh, your dreams because when you work hard, you can achieve whatever you want. That's what the American dream is all about. That's what we're taught even as kids. And I'm sure it was a similar ethic in the times of Christ as well. You just worked hard and did all that you could to support your family. But the gospel completely counteracts that notion. And changes the paradigm of how we are to think about life, how we are to find satisfaction and purpose in our lives. It is about depending on God, depending on His power, not our own. 
not our own self-righteousness, our own pride or our own effort, because those things can only go so far. It doesn't solve those longings, the desire for more. It is actually depending on Christ and Him alone. When, when we receive Christ, we are humbled like Mary was humbled. We, we know we don't deserve it. Verse 50 says, And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. Mary gets it. She knows she doesn't deserve it. And she knows that this mercy she's received is only from God. And as a result, it will be a generational blessing, not just for her and her immediate family, but it will be for generations to come forever. It will be passed down forever and it will spread all across the world. This is what the gospel does. This is the amazing impact of the gospel. And that's what has happened when Jesus came, when the prophecies were fulfilled in him. And that's why this message is so radically different from any message in the world. We no longer try to be good enough. We don't try to solve our desires and our longings on our own. They have all been repurposed, reshaped, reframed by desire, reframed by Christ. Our desires are, are not our own. Our lives are now marked by humility and dependence, not pride and self-dependence. Now, of course, uh, we have this draw to things that we know we shouldn't be doing. We, we, we still have this even after we believe in Christ. But now as Christians, we know what it is. We know it's rebellion. We know it's sin. And overcoming sin is not dependent on us anymore. We don't fight sin by just overcoming it through sheer willpower. Even in that, we ultimately depend on God and the gospel of Christ. That he has saved us and now we can trust in him our, and our longings, our desires are satisfied. So there really is only one takeaway today. That is that we no longer have to depend on ourselves. Our efforts are meaningless. It really simply depends on Christ. And we are called to simply trust in Him. The prophecies have been fulfilled. Christ has come. Now we don't have to live life on our own. We don't have to fight on our own to gain power, success, to be satisfied. It all is fulfilled in Christ. So may we humble ourselves here today and surrender our lives to Christ. Especially if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, we invite you here today. Surrender your life to Christ. That is the only way we can truly be satisfied. And when it gets hard, remember, we are broken. We need to fast, fast and ask the Lord and pray for help. From beginning to the very end, we must depend on God. So may we be filled with Christ here and rest in His grace. Because if we keep trying to do things on our own, as you may have already, as you can already tell probably, it fails. It never works. 
We can't be our own God. So may we look to the true God. May we be filled with Christ. And as we go through the series in Luke, may the Lord continue to reveal to us this radical truth of the gospel, of Christ's fulfillment of the prophecies, that we are saved once and for all, and that we are completely satisfied. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for showing us that we are completely satisfied, completely filled because of what you have done through Jesus Christ. Lord, Jesus coming down is the greatest gift we have ever received. Lord, it finally relieves the the pressure off of ourselves, this self-dependence that we had, this pride that we had. We no longer have to have it. Lord, we can just trust in you, depend on you. And that is all you really call us to do, to put our faith in you, to surrender to you. Because on our own, we fail. We can't obey the law. We can't find satisfaction. We always have this longing for more. But in Christ, we see how we are satisfied. We are filled with joy. We have received eternal life. Nothing else matters in this world. So God, help us to realize this truth and know this truth and live out this truth each and every day so that we live lives that are satisfied. So Lord, help us to be satisfied in all that we do so we can have this amazing perspective on life and because we have the truth. And so God, fill us up with your spirit here today. And for those of us who may not have surrendered our lives to Christ, Lord, we pray that you soften our hearts, that we would surrender it all to you. Because Lord, everything else doesn't compare. Everything else fails but only in you, Lord, we find strength, joy, peace, happiness, and salvation. So God, we thank you for this time together. May we continue to go through this series and look to the gospel to see uh, the amazing truth of what Christ has done for us. So Lord, we pray for your guidance upon our church, upon uh, all of us who are watching here today, and may you fill us up with your loving grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again, Cornerstone. God bless. We'll see you next time.